Okay, we're ready to begin in Genesis chapter 27. This first hour will cover 27, 1 to 29. Genesis 27, 1 to 29. Let's read and then pray. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. And Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice kids or young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats or kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which he had made to her son Jacob. Then He came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game, that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons 
bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this word. You have given us your holy word from heaven. Thank you for inspiring these words by your servants, the prophets and the apostles. We thank you, Lord, that we can study it. We can understand you, know the way of salvation and the way of sanctification, how we live our Christian life. We pray that we will have greater faith and understand the truths of this passage and the implications of them for our life. Be near us, draw near to us, and guide us by your Holy Spirit. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Before we begin, we have to have, for this chapter, this long chapter, uh, a bit of a perspective or some general ideas about what we are about to study. This chapter is full of deception and intrigue. It's full of it. Um, And so, why is it here? Why is this here? Well, we do know that no matter what the behavior is of Isaac, of his wife Rebekah, of Jacob and Esau, their sons, no matter what their behavior is, in the end, what God wants to happen does happen. What God wants to happen does happen. So there is no human intrigue, no human deception, no human machinations that can subvert and overthrow the will of God. Whatever God wants to happen will happen. Now, a more clear and obvious example of this, more evident and popular example of this, is Joseph towards the end of the book of Genesis. Genesis 37 to 50, this happens indeed with Joseph. His brothers and even his father suspect him. His brothers sell him as a slave to Egypt and things go miserable for him there in Egypt temporarily. But then God uses that to place him in a a very lofty place, the second ruler of the land of Egypt for a long period of time until the day he dies. And that turned out well for the survival of his own family or his own clan, his own relatives who end up living there, and even Christ will come from them, but based on what God did in the life of Joseph. And the supreme example is our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what people did to him, whether good or evil people around him and the things that happened to him, God used it all in order to orchestrate and to uh, ordain his death on the cross his burial, his resurrection, so that we might be saved from our sins. That happened with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that this is the way God is throughout history. I think that at the very bare minimum, we ought to come away from this chapter with that truth embedded in our minds. And we should believe that no matter what people do, if we have faith in Christ, then God will protect us and he will make sure his purposes for us endure and last forever. We, we have hope. We have confidence and comfort in that truth. Yeah. So we should not worry and be anxious about anything. Have no fear of anything. Only fear God. And that's all we need to know and do. Then another issue that arises is the, the perspective of the actions of these patriarchs. Um, were they right or were they wrong? Were they right or were they wrong? Now, I tend to, for this chapter, go on the side that they were wrong, that the actions were wrong. And though there are other interpreters who think that their actions were right and they give Isaac the benefit of the doubt, 
They give Rebecca the benefit of the doubt. They give um, Jacob the benefit of the doubt. They give it all to them. And then they notice how Esau behaves and that he behaved in a good manner. Now, I know we all know Esau was an unbeliever and he did do some good things. That is, he did go out into the field, into the wild. He caught some game and brought it home and prepared it. He did those things and he does treat his father respectfully, but he was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever and he was he died as an unbeliever. We have to understand that. So that would be an example of how unbelievers or wicked people do some good things throughout their life, but their soul, it was never redeemed and they go to hell. And that's the case with Esau. That's clearly the case with Esau. But in the case of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob, I still think that in this case, except for the faith of Rebekah, she has faith and she has a, a good Motive, if we want to call it that, a good intention, but her means of accomplishing it were with deception. And, and in that sense, there may be some blame on her for that. Okay, so th- this is a very complicated chapter. That's my point. Very complicated chapter. And we'll need to consult other scriptures or other truths in order to make sure we don't, on the one hand, justify everything um, without proper uh, interpretation, but also we don't need to completely condemn them on the other hand either. This is a very complicated or messy chapter, and this is the way life is. All of our lives are filled with temptations or decisions that we encounter similar to what they encountered. Okay, and during our Q&A time, we can explore these some more. But because of the length of the chapter, I won't go into all of the the, the complicated interpretations or issues. I'll just explain the passage and then we'll have our break. Go to the second hour with the last half of the chapter. And then in the third hour, we can ask our questions and dialogue on this. All right. So 27 verse one. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see. Now he's old and his eyes are too dim to see. It is likely that he is at the age of 137. At the age of 137. We do know from later, from 35, chapter 35, verse 18, that he uh, eventually dies and he dies at the age of 180. 180. So he is old, older than people usually are, um, and he has lost his eyesight or much of his eyesight. And that's a critical factor that God waited for this time for these incidents in this chapter to unfold. He waited until Isaac's eyes were dim. And even Isaac, knowing that his eyes were too dim, Um, He says he calls Esau his son in verse one. But in verse two, why does he call Esau at this point in his life? Because he says, Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. He didn't know he was going to live for another 40 plus years. He didn't know that. And God often does not reveal the day of our death. He doesn't tell us you're going to die today or you're going to die tomorrow or in a year from now. He often does not tell us. Most of the time he doesn't. 
Rarely does he ever indicate that. Um, for example, in Moses' case, he told him what he needed to do before he was going to die there on the mountain, um, on Mount Pisgah, and then God would bury him. So in rare cases, God does do that, but he, he doesn't generally do it. And apparently, he did not do so for Isaac, right? right? Isaac did not know. And then, verse 3, he asked um, Esau to go and hunt in the field. Now remember that Esau, in chapter 25, 27, it says, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. So Esau, he was an outdoorsman. He loved to hunt and he was good at that. And Isaac knew that and Isaac loved that. That's why it says in Genesis 25, 28. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And this is preparatory because he wants to be in, a, in good spirits. He wants to eat a good meal before he blesses his son Esau. This is the context. He loves Esau because he's a skillful hunter, but he also wants to eat a savory dish, as it says in verse 4. A savory dish such as I love, um, that, I'm, that my soul may bless you before I die. He wanted to make sure to pronounce this patriarchal and actually prophetic blessing before he died. Now, the key component to this is not so much the patriarchal blessing, though that's a factor, but he is doing this on the basis of being a prophet of God. He is a prophet of God. Isaac himself also is a prophet of God. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, God calls Abraham a prophet. Abraham a prophet. And then in Psalm 105, Psalm 105, verse 25, after mentioning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God says, Do my prophets no harm. Do my prophets no harm. Don't touch them. Don't persecute them. Do them no harm. So from Psalm 105, we learn that even Isaac and Jacob were prophets. And then furthermore, in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, verse 20, the apostle there assumes that Isaac is a prophet. 11:20. by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come, things to come. So what he wants to do in blessing here, his sons in verse four, specifically Esau, is to bless him in a prophetic sense. That is the main issue here. So verse five, Rebecca was listening. She was listening to Isaac speak to Esau, and then we are told in verse 5, so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, so while he's gone and while he cannot overhear or see anything that's happening, what happens? Verse 6, Rebekah says to Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. And what did he say? She overheard it, and what did 
Jacob say, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. There too, the presence of the Lord. This also shows that it was a, a godly blessing that he was going to pronounce, a blessing in the sight of God as a prophet of God. Verse 8. This is Rebecca to Jacob. Verse 8. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. She, of course, as the wife, would know what Isaac loves to eat, and she's going to prepare it exactly like that. And you might wonder, well, isn't there a a difference in taste between goats and wild game? The answer is yes. But there may be, depending on what he finds in the field, some similarity between that meat and the meat of the goats. That's one. Number two, the spices she uses might uh, do away with the, the, the wild game or the gamey taste of the meat in the field. So that when he's consuming it, it's not just the texture of the meat, but it's the spices that might be what... Uh, deals with the distinctions between the wild game and the goats. So there's different issues or different ways in which this might work in order to uh, deceive Isaac. So, verse 11, Jacob answered his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight, and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. Now, this statement is true. We do know that when they were born, that this was true once they were born. 25.25, Genesis 25.25 says of Esau. Now, the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Esau, it means hairy. And that was one of the names given to him. That was his birth name because he had so much hair on him. Uh, Now, if that is stunning or unbelievable to people whose children usually or sons usually don't have a lot of hair, I I have seen that myself. Uh, My own son, one of my sons was very hairy when he was born and he still is, uh, has that. So it is possible and it does happen. So it's, this is not fictitious. It's not mythological, legendary, nothing like that. It does happen Sometimes, And that's what happened to Esau. I say that because skeptics of the Bible, they see something like that and they say, that's ridiculous. Who believes that? When actually that's not true. It means that they are ignorant. They don't even know what happens in the real world. And then they want to come to the Bible and criticize the Bible. Okay, so Esau was that way. But Jacob says that I'm not like that. And why would it be that Jacob would suspect that? He would suspect that because... We know later that Isaac calls Esau near to him for a kiss, right? And if he's touching him, hugging him for that kiss, usually a kiss on the cheek, right? A kiss like that, you're going to feel and and notice. So that's a legitimate concern Jacob has. But in verse 12, if the irony is, perhaps my father will feel me, then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. 
Well, you will be a deceiver. Yeah. So when he says, I, I shall be as a deceiver, actually his name Jacob, his birth name Jacob means supplanter. One who trips up and fools or tricks somebody else, a supplanter. That's the way he was named. Jacob received that name at birth. Later he has another name, Israel. And it's very true. If he is discovered by Isaac, there is the possibility, humanly speaking, there is the possibility that Isaac would pronounce a curse for uh, discovering deception happening before him. But his mother, verse 13, his mother, verse 13 says, Your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. She very boldly says, may your curse come on me. Now, I believe she's saying it to ease Jacob. She's certainly saying it to ease Jacob and to take away any fear and timidity away from him so that he actually does this. And why would she do that? Not only to alleviate his fears, but also it's likely that she really does believe in the promise of God, the blessing of God that she received, the oracle of God that she received when these two sons were in her womb. Remember, when they were in her womb and they were struggling, they were fighting while in the womb, she went to inquire of God. She prayed to God. And 25, Genesis 25, 23 says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The younger was Jacob, the older Esau. And she understood not only the physical implications, material implications of this promise, but more importantly, she understood the spiritual implications of these promises. She understood them, and she had faith in the word of God that there is no way that God is going to let this happen, that Esau would receive this blessing, the spiritual blessing. No, it will come on you, on you, Jacob, and you alone. She believed that. Now, I think that from within the Bible, we, we could see that, correct? From Genesis 25, we could see that she actually did believe in the word of God. But there is an ancient Jewish translation of this passage, and it says, quoting Rebecca, to me it has been said in prophecy that the curses shall not come upon you, my son. So even they, quote unquote, they believed at that time that Rebecca had some pr- prophetic knowledge, being a prophetess, having some prophetic knowledge from God that there's no way anything like this is going to happen. No curse is going to come on you, Jacob. It will not happen at all. So that would be an additional oracle. If it's not referring back to Genesis 25, 23, it might be an additional one if that is in case uh, what happened at that time. Okay, so verse 14, he goes, he obeys his mother and he goes and does it. And then verse 15, Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread. 
which she had made to her son Jacob. So the garments of Esau, the skins of the goats, and the food, she presents all this to Jacob. Jacob takes it, takes it all, and then he proceeds. Now, all of this is in case, well, of course he's going to smell, and of course he's going to touch. He just can't see. And he also can hear, but perhaps even his hearing has diminished. Perhaps so. And there's a hint of that a little bit later. Because if his hearing was completely 100%, and if he had been living for 137 years from the age of 60 to 137, he has had 77 years to hear the voices of his two sons. He would have been familiar with their voices. They would have been distinct enough. But apparently, even his hearing had diminished some, maybe, maybe not, probably not as much as his eyes, because his eyesight was the main issue at the beginning of the chapter. Now, one might ask, how is it possible to put the skins of goats on the body, on the hands? Uh, well, some of the skins or the hair of the goats actually is similar to human Hair, human hair, human skin. Some of the goats are like that. In 1 Samuel 19, 13, 1 Samuel 19, 13, Michal, Michal, the daughter of Saul, in order, to, in order to save the life of David, she actually does the same with goat's hair to pretend that David is in the bed when Saul sends his messengers to go there to assassinate David. And David escapes before the assassination takes place. So even Michal in 1 Samuel 19, 13, she does the same. Though the goats around here may not be so much that way, they had goats that were that way, and that's what they used. And then verse 18 Uh, Jacob comes to his father and says, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? There's the first suspicion that it may not be Esau. And Jacob, he says in verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. He clearly says that. Jacob said, the Holy Spirit by Moses says, Jacob said to his father, quote, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it, have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Now we know that that's not what happened. They got a domestic goat, not a wild goat. They got domestic goats, two of them. And that's how it happened. And Isaac knows how long it takes, typically how long it takes. But here in verse 20, Jacob claims it's a miracle. The Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Uh, Notice he says the Lord your God. He doesn't say the Lord our God or the Lord my God. Because Esau, probably Isaac knows this, that Esau did not claim the faith. He knew about the faith. He knew knowledge of the faith, but he didn't claim it. And perhaps that's why Jacob says, the Lord, your God, because he doesn't want to throw Isaac off and make him wonder by this mistaken 
uh, possessive pronoun, the Lord, my God, because he knew Esau didn't believe in the Lord at all. Well, verse 21, Isaac being suspicious, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he comes close and verse 22, he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So he's, he's still perplexed, he's, he's curious, but verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Now when it says, so he blessed him, that's actually the way the Bible often speaks or writes. It will say the blessing or something happened, but it hasn't happened yet. And it will explain in the subsequent verses what actually did happen. So it says, so he blessed him. And that's the conclusion. He was convinced enough to bless Jacob, who pretends to be Esau. That happens in verse 23. The summary is there, but the the greater details are in verses 24 to 29. And he says, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said. So all of this is preparatory and confirmation for Isaac. And now the blessing, the actual words of the blessing. See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. A field which the Lord has blessed. That means that God is in control of how many wild animals there are, right? Whether they give birth, whether they reproduce, and where they live, all of that. God's in control, and he's the one that blesses out in the field. Not to say he doesn't bless domestically either, which we will see In Genesis 31, 31 and 32, he blesses domestic animals as well. But 28, now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. The dew of heaven, um, the dew of heaven or the rain of heaven also, this is necessary, um, especially because the land of Canaan is not primarily a land of lakes and of rivers, though there is the Jordan River going north and south, and there are other smaller streams going east and west. It's not really dependent on that. It is dependent on rain from the sky and the dew. So may God bless that in order to make sure that there is prosperity. The fatness of the earth, um, fatness of the earth, the produce, the goodness, the richness of the earth and even the oils of the earth, um, the fatness and oils. And then it says abundance of grain and new wine, the crops and even the harvest of the grapes, which produce new wine, which they produce into new wine. So all of this he is pronouncing upon him. Now, these physical blessings are not an end in themselves because he's going to actually um, or the Bible actually does give physical blessings to all kinds of people. Sure. In the book of Genesis, he blessed 
uh, Potiphar, the, the master of Joseph, in the book of Genesis later, 37 to 50, he blesses the land of Egypt, even though they are idolaters. He blessed them. Um, so God does bless unbelievers. But in this case, the blessing of the believers is for a greater spiritual purpose. The greater spiritual purpose, verse 29, may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Peoples or, or nations, may they bow down to, in this case, Jacob, right? And Jacob's spiritual descendants. And in that way, is it not true that the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek? Romans chapter 2. It's to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Did it not start in when the gospel was uh, promoted or pushed out of the land of Israel? Was it not from the place of Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, and then to the remotest parts of the earth? Is that not how it happened in the book of Acts? So in that sense, the peoples, when they submit to the word of God, they are submitting to those who first have it, right? In that way. Um, and then we are, it says in verse 29, be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This is, I think, in reference to the wicked, that even the wicked are going to have, in a spiritual sense, they are going to submit to the righteous. The wicked submit to the righteous. And we do know that this will happen ultimately on the day of judgment. 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And 29, in terms of persecution and dealings and the spiritual implications of the, them. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. This we see was first announced in Genesis tw uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis 12, 3, when it was said to Abraham. And now we know Isaac received the same and now Isaac is transferring that same blessing specifically to Jacob and to his descendants and particularly his spiritual descendants. When people curse us, the body of Christ, the believers, God puts a curse on them. But when they bless us, God blesses them. That's the way it is, just like it did with Joseph, Joseph in Egypt. When they treated him um, wrongly or, or, or rightly, when they were tr treating him rightly, God blessed the unbelievers all around him, both in Potiphar's house and as uh, a ruler over the land of Egypt. And that's the same in a spiritual sense. Ultimately, we, we will be victorious and those who treat us, how they treat us, has eternal and spiritual implications. Right. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.